Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in with us. It's a pleasure, again, to open the Bible and to learn more about uh, God's promises. And we are approaching um, in this new Bible study for a number of weeks to go now. God's covenant, how God is providing for us all. And um, it's very good to be able to share together in this format with a panel we have today. want to mention that it's good to have our panel back because uh, just the other week uh, we were doing um, a bit of an experiment and I invited uh, uh, people from Drive Time to be part of the panel. And that was an excellent uh, Bible study too. And I already have some um, uh, feedback from you uh, listeners And thank you all uh, of you for making those comments and uh, appreciate our uh, uh, input. I would like to welcome today uh, Helen. It's good to have you with us uh, on this panel, even though you were part of the panel last week too. Yes, you can't get rid of me, can you? (laughs) It's a delight to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Good to have Len with us also. Thank you, Len, for joining us. Yes, thank you for welcoming me and hello listeners from beautiful Adelaide, South Australia. Thank you, Joe, for um, being able to join. Pleasure to be here and I look forward to our discussion today. And Lija, it's good to have you with us too. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure and it's a, it's a good thing to study God's Word. Brenton, uh, it's good to have you with us, and thank you so much for putting together this uh, Bible study and facilitating today. My pleasure, uh, Nick. I just pray that we will understand uh, God's covenants and the importance of his covenant with us personally today as we look at it through the eyes of uh, various people in the Bible. We no further comments from me. I would like to just pass it to you, Brenton. Yes, before we commence our study, I believe it's totally important for us to uh, have the the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we study this important topic. Before I actually introduce the topic um, Covenant Primer, I'm going to ask Len if he would pray for us. Thank you, Len. Dear Father in heaven, as we seek to understand your word today and as we seek to know how you dealt with mankind in the past and are dealing with mankind now. We pray that you will enlighten us through the Holy Spirit and through your word, that what we share today will be of benefit to all. Yes. We pray for your help, your presence and your encouragement for us as a panel and for everyone who's listening to this program. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. You might remember in our last study, we looked at man's fall in uh, Genesis chapter 3. I've described it as catastrophic on many levels, on a personal relationship level, in regard to nature, because God told them that if they ate of the tree, that they would surely die. And I remember that we touched on God's response in Genesis 3.15 where he stated that he would put enmity between thee, that's the serpent through whom Satan was speaking, and the woman, and between the serpent's seed and her seed, and it would bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent would bruise his heel. 
Now, how was God going to solve the sin problem and reunite earth with heaven again? You find the term covenant mentioned in the Old Testament alone 287 times, uh, let alone the times that it's mentioned in the New um, Testament as well. But today we just want to have a look at God's covenant as it is revealed to various people, starting with Noah, secondarily with Abram. And remember, he was Abram when he was given the covenant, not Abraham. And thirdly, with Moses, three of the uh, hero people, as it were, of the Old Testament. And last but not least, we want to have a look at the new covenant as it is described in the book of Jeremiah verses 31 through um, chapter 31 and verse 31 to 33, and how that applies to us in 2021, both as presenters and as listeners. What are the key things out of this that we need to, to know? First of all, I've stated a few key points before we begin our study. The covenants we study have all been initiated by God. Now, I want you to think as you're listening to this broadcast. I want you to think about the fact that our salvation is totally accomplished by what God has done. How does that apply to your life in your day-by-day existence? And secondarily, the two phases of the covenant are a before and an after event. You'll find examples of this where God made a covenant with Noah, which we're about to study, before the flood, and he reiterated that covenant after the flood, And the same principle applies in uh, the story of the Exodus with Moses. However, we're going to get underway. Um, Joe, I wondered, in order to get this discussion going, before we actually get to Noah, let's have a look at the expectations that Adam and Eve had after they were given this message message in Genesis 3.15. Eve conceives and has her very first son. And could you read for us Genesis 4.1? and comment on what her expectation and that of um, her husband Adam was and unfortunately how it turned out. Yes. After the fall, we know that Scripture tells us that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Now, we know that that, you've already mentioned that promise of a seed that will come through and that will crush the serpent's head. Well, when she got pregnant, the verse actually, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she became pregnant and bore Cain. And she said, I have gotten and gained a man with the help of the Lord. Now, some translation says, I have acquired a man. Now, the name Cain in in Hebrew means gotten or acquired. I believe that she naively believed that this was, this was probably the promised deliverer. And that, you know, little did she know that this battle would rage on for many generations and that, you know, it wasn't as easy as, yes, she would have a baby and it'll be all over. So I think they were under, both of them were under a misconception that this was the child that was to be the deliverer. However, you know, they were very, very disappointed. Little did she know of the pain that was yet ahead of her, you know, in terms of what had happened between Cain and Abel and how, you know, the bliss that they had in Eden and then the pain, her heart must have been ripped out when Abel died and then Cain had to run for his life, basically. He just left their community. So she lost two sons in one day. I cannot imagine what that pain would have been. So what a huge letdown. 
a huge disappointment. And this was to go on for centuries. Can you understand, though, how they must have felt? They've, um, first of all, been evicted from the garden home. Now, as you quite rightly point out, they've lost two sons in one day, so to speak. Uh, you can imagine that the expectation when she found out that she was pregnant and about to have a son, there must have been the highest hopes of both of them that this was the one who was going to solve this awful dilemma that they'd got themselves into. Len, you had a comment for us. Interesting. The, some Bibles, including the one I mainly use, the NIV, says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. But some versions say, I have acquired a the man, referring to the Messiah. Now, Joe commented on this before, but I would like to just add a little thought. Eve thought she held in her arms the Messiah, the saviour of the whole world, but she really held in her arms a murderer. That she would have been very disappointed with the high hopes that she had for this little boy, the first child ever born on planet Earth, and instead of being the saviour, it was someone who needed a saviour. Um, Helen, did you have any thoughts on this particular one? It's an interesting verse, isn't it? Yeah, when when I first read through it, I couldn't help doing a parallel with Mary. Mary was, in what you've just said, Mary was holding the Messiah. She was, yes. She was holding the Messiah, and I could just imagine the smile on her face. But at the same token, I could imagine that Eve had a smile on her face, oh, yeah. believing it was the Messiah. And and um, as Joe was saying, it must have just broken her heart when murder came in. And that was a greater example of what sin was doing. And I guess Adam and Eve, I imagine, would have felt even worse knowing that they, they um, brought sin into the world and, yeah. of course, conceived um, their son who ended up being a murderer. At the same token, as they felt grief over that, I believe that Mary saw a lot of grief in her life as well. So there are some similarities there, except, as you say, one ended up saving and one ended up killing. All right, we need to move on uh, with this because we haven't got to know yet, but um, we find that the descendants of Cain, and this in itself is interesting for ourselves and our, our listeners, who were the descendants of Cain? Obviously, there must have been, Adam and Eve must have had other sons and daughters. And some of them followed Cain and some of them followed a guy called Seth, who was the next person that the Bible records Eve as conceiving. And he had a son called Enosh. And in Genesis 4.26, we find an interesting statement, which Len is going to read to us about men calling on the name of the Lord. I wondered if you'd read that statement for us, Len, and comment on it. Uh, Genesis 4.26, the NIV, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, in Genesis chapter 5 is a genealogy where we have fathers, sons, and sometimes there could even be a skip, meaning that there could be a grandfather or a great-grandfather and a son. We're not exactly sure. However, we are aware from what we know about Cain that there were children born and there were families 
and the followers of Cain did not, as we understand, follow the Lord. So on the face of the earth, there were probably two main groups of people, those who followed the Lord and those who didn't. And it appears that the majority of people were those who didn't. However, it appears at this time, at the birth of Enosh, that the the followers of the Lord began to assert themselves a bit. And I'll read a quote that I've taken from Matthew Poole's commentary. It says, Then, when the world was universally corrupt and had forsaken God and his service, good men grew more valiant and zealous for God and did more publicly and avowedly own God and began to distinguish and separate themselves from the ungodly world and to call themselves and one another by the name of God. Now, that applies in modern times, I suppose. We have those who believe and serve the Lord. We are called Christians. What are the others called? Non-Christians or pagans, I suppose. It was a bit of a change in the um, culture of the world where God's people, God's followers, began to assert themselves and became more widespreadly known and understood. Again, isn't it interesting how the Bible starts off um, after sin we have two groups, those that wanted to worship God, those that were indifferent. That thing carries on right through the whole Bible, right to the end of time. Mm. It, there's the two groups, those that are indifferent, those that worship, and that's going to be the issue at the end as well. I just find that's incredible. You know, from start to finish, it just weaves right the way through. Seth was like a, another Abel, if you like, you know, leading God's faithful people. Yes. And it, it just struck me, you know, where the God says there will be two types of people. Joe, you had some thoughts. I guess an interesting question to ponder is what happened to that group in the time of Noah? I guess we're going to be discussing that. But it's interesting to know what, what actually happened to them. Where were they? What happened to them before, just before the flood came? Because we know how many people entered the ark. Uh, Joe, that's a very interesting comment. Um, can I just summarise on Genesis chapter 4? Um, Len, you've uh, very, very eloquently mentioned the fact that it seems to me in reading this verse 26 that not only did they step out, so to speak, and become more public, it seems that maybe public worship is becoming more of a feature here, and that is always associated in the Old Testament with the building of an altar. Um, when you look at the descendants of Cain in chapter 4, you find two interesting things. One of them became the father, Tubal Cain, became the father of people who smelt and do various work. Another one, Jubal, became the father of people who use stringed instruments. And the very first instrument mentioned in the Bible is a form of a harp. So it's interesting that one group becomes more godly, and the other group it just mentions about what they actually did. You can see even as early as that, the division between the two groups moving forward. But now we come to the story of Noah. And in chapter 6, we find that God has surveyed the situation and decided that um, mankind as a whole has become so corrupt. The word corrupt is an interesting one because it suggests that it's beyond remedy. And um, man has become so corrupt 
that uh, God makes certain statements about what he's going to do, but because of Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord, as it says in Genesis 6-9, he shares with Noah what he's going to do. But Helen, can you read um, Genesis 6-8 and 6-13 for us and perhaps comment on those in relationship to God's original promise in Genesis 3-15 that he would put enmity between them and the woman What's he doing now to move that plan forward? So 6.8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wouldn't that be beautiful for God to say, but Brenton found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Or Joe found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that just beautiful? But tell me, does that mean that Noah and the rest of us are perfect? Does it mean that Noah never sinned? No. No, it doesn't, does it? We've actually got examples in in the Bible. Um, But it does mean that Noah wholeheartedly loved and obeyed God, I believe, just as as you guys do as well. And for a lifetime, if you look at Noah's life, he walked step by step in faith as a living example to his generation. So when God said those words, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, I think that's such a great commendation. It says, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for all the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And that must have been a shock for Noah when you stop and think about that. I mean, he could see the wickedness around him anyway. But, you know, that God, God who loves everybody had turned around and said, I am going to destroy them with the earth. And then verse 18 comes in and says, but I, but. I love the but. Establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. Isn't that just a beautiful, it's actually a reinforcement, I believe, of Genesis um, 3.15, because God was saying, I will finally destroy sin. There will be some saved. And here he is again reiterating his covenant with Noah, you know, virtually saying, okay, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood because of the wickedness or they're going to destroy themselves by the time they get there. But then he he then says, I will save you. He's virtually saying your family will be saved because of why? You know, God is saying, I will confirm my covenant. He was making a promise and it, it, it was God makes covenants all the way along, but it's reassuring to know that God's covenant is established not only with Noah, not only back in the Garden of Eden, not only through all the patriarchs, but with us today. You know, he is still our salvation and yeah. we are kept safe through our relationship with him. The covenant is a relationship. And here we see that even down to the end of time, God will keep his covenant. In fact, I think Hebrews calls it an everlasting, everlasting covenant. It's the yeah. only time in the New Testament it's mentioned the word everlasting covenant. Yeah. And um, I find that extremely interesting. So, yeah, I, I'm hanging on to that covenant with, with God because when you even think of the word covenant, Covenant to me means there was a choice, but it was God that took the action. God made the move. There was overwhelming sin. There was violence. And then God gave the everlasting covenant for not only them, but for everybody. God saw a need. God took action. No one needed to die because God wanted to save our world from mankind. There is the word covenant. And it was really all about God. But we also needed to do something. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
I pray that we too will find grace in the eyes of the Lord and be worshipping him when he comes. Thank you, Lydia, and then Len, and then Joe. Yes, we are reading here that, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Or grace, uh, Lydia. And uh, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And because of this, because of his stronger relationship with God, being a, a righteous man, he found an unmerited favor, unmerited grace in the eyes of God. So God loved him and made a covenant with him. Thank you, um, Lydia. That's very important. That's personal, isn't it? Because remember what you read, Helen? I will make my covenant with you. Then after that, he mentions his family. And um, we. one of the interesting, fascinating things that we found out in our study of Noah is that when this comment was made to Noah, he had no children. Seth hadn't been born at this stage. And okay. Seth, we believe, was the oldest of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Len, you had some comments, and then Joe. Yes, if there had been no Noah at that time, it's interesting to speculate on what the world may have become. In this case, Noah, in a certain way, was the means of saving human life and animal life on the world because otherwise all would have been destroyed. I just want to mention this covenant that God did make with Noah. There are three types of covenants that God made. One is called the Royal Grant Covenant, which was this one. The next one's called a Parity Covenant. And the other one is called a Suzerain Vassal Covenant. Now, I won't go into the other two, but a royal grant covenant is like a king's grant to a faithful servant for good service. And it was usually perpetual and unconditional. But the um, heirs of whoever the uh, covenant was made to, um, it depended on their service as well. Noah was faithful. The covenant was also made to his heirs, in other words, his children. The covenant still stands because God promised never to destroy the earth by water ever again. Good point. Helen, you touched on a very interesting point there in in regard to to this because um, all the way through God, he's not only faithful, he's also protective and He's telling Noah what he's about to do and he's saying, but I'm going to make my covenant with you and then ultimately with your wife and your family, your sons, those yet unborn, and uh, I'm going to bring you safely through this. And, of course, we find that theme even in the book of Revelation. But, Joe, you had some thoughts to share with us too. Yes, actually, I think it's, in, it's important to keep in mind that this covenant that he made with Noah was open to everybody Yes. It wasn't just Noah. And Noah spent 120 years preaching, inviting people to enter into this covenant as well. Yes. Um, but, of course, we know how that ended. So what I wanted to raise and, and I guess, highlight is that this covenant wasn't exclusive. True. You know, just like all yeah. of God's covenants aren't exclusive. They aren't just for a certain particular group of people, but there are others that are welcome to join. He wants people 
to repent. He wants people to come. He wants people to be part of his covenant and to be part of his kingdom. And so um, sometimes we can forget that and think that these covenants were personally made with, you know, a small number of people. And I guess we get that exclusive mindset reflected in the way um, the Israelites, the Jews, thought of themselves. And so I think it's just, uh, I just wanted to highlight that, that um, Noah was asked to preach for 120 years in the hope that, you know, and, and of course they were invited to come aboard the ark. They were. Dare we speculate, had there been sufficient number of people that repented, just like in Nineveh, what could have happened? Yes, the, the what-ifs are, are very intriguing there, Joe. And here's another thought. Obviously, there was more than Noah and his three sons who built a boat that was 450 feet long. Yeah. In fact, if you study other inspired sources, you'll find that his grandfather, Methuselah, died the year of the flood. And yeah. there are other men, that we are told, who worked on the ark, who died before the flood came, but they all believed that the flood was going to happen. So they too will, they too will be saved as well, I believe. Yeah, I think it's interesting also that that God tells him of of these, you know, his sons and his daughter, his daughters-in-law and his wife before they actually existed. Perhaps he was married, perhaps he wasn't, but you know, I think it was to reassure uh, Noah that it was safe to be married, safe to have children, because we know that. You know, if there were imminent disaster, if there were hard times or wars, we know that marriages and fertility rates and birth rates drop dramatically, yes. like we've seen, and then we have a baby boon after and during peacetime. And yes. so Noah would have thought, oh, it's probably a bad time to have a family, but God reassures him because he needed, he needed, what would you call the ark, an ark yes. of humankind to carry the promise of the deliverer. Yeah. One important point, because I know Helen wants to comment and Len wants to comment. It's good to have a lot of comments on this one. Just a thought. If there had been no 120 years of probation, as we call it, whereby the evidence of the flood coming was the building of the ark, I believe it would be fair to say that, as you said, Joe, that this covenant was available to others because Noah was preaching, not only in the building of the ark, but I'm sure he was preaching verbally on the coming flood as well. Now, if that weren't so, and God's covenant was alone with Noah, you have a very good example of predestination. And we not, do not believe in predestination in that particular form. Helen, you had some thoughts. And then Len. I was agreeing with, with Joe. It was along the lines I was thinking of too. God didn't want anyone to perish. Death was not in God's wishes at all. And um, they called it a strange act yes. when God brings that and it breaks his heart. But, you know, people say, well, why did he allow all those people to die? You know, surely some loved him. I believe that God knows the heart of all things. I don't believe in the predestination. I believe God knows the future and that's why he could predict it. But I also believe that God knew the wickedness that was on the earth and it will be the same at the end of time. He will know that even if he gave them a million years, they would not change. Nothing would change. Nothing would change. But he would prolong it if he knew, you know, give somebody an extra day or two, they would change. He loves all people. And I'd like to make a comment on the, the covenants. We talk about one covenant, Noah's, Abraham and all the rest and several of them. But I think we've got to remember that God had one covenant, an everlasting covenant. It was like a big umbrella, if you like, 
you know, we talk about Daniel's time and the 2,300-day prophecy and that it was broken down. Well, I see the covenants like that, Brenton, where it's the everlasting covenant from eternity to eternity. And the main thing is that God wanted people to live. He wanted to dwell with them. You know, we've lost Eden, but it will be restored. And it will be restored because God will keep his covenant with us. We have the choice. Are we going to be amongst the remnant or are we going to say it doesn't matter? Yeah, that's true. Nick, you had a thought for us. Yes. And I'd like to just uh, come back a little bit to the covenant. Sure. Um, I just want to put a little bit of a different spin on the discussion we have so far uh, in terms of the covenant uh, if that was open for everyone, or in this case, we're talking about uh, Noah, yeah? And I'd like to bring to attention that aspect. In a covenant, there are involved particularly two parties. And uh, usually the covenant is for the protection of both parties. What I would like to suggest here is that the covenant was with Noah, because Noah, even after 120 years of preaching to those people, he could have come to some disappointments. He could have even lost some of his faith in God. But the, the covenant was to assure Noah and to assure those people with, with whom God made a covenant that he will protect and that he, uh, that will come to, uh, to fulfillment. That's why I believe that in not necessarily that God made the covenant with, I mean, open the covenant for every person. What I believe in this context is an assurance with that particular person or the group, or uh, in this case, we are going to talk maybe even about Israel, because God wants us to be confident that he will keep his promises to us. Probably we haven't touched this aspect. And of course, God's promises and God's plan of salvation is open for everyone. Mm. But in this context, even if you have, you know, a covenant can be looked at, and we mentioned in the previous study, like a, almost like a mortgage, you know, yeah. where two parties come together with agreement. Mm. But in this case, particularly, God is the one who offer to say so that covenant because he's judging in accordance with where Noah was. And Lija just mentioned that God find out that he was a righteous man in his time. And God wants him to know whatever you'll go through, I'll pull you out. Yes, thank you, Nick. That's a, that's a good thought. What's interesting about all, all of this is that God initiates it. In Genesis 6, you have judgment and you also have the response as God is the initiator, God initiates the fact, he says to Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth and everything in it, but I'm going to make my covenant with you. And then Noah's part is in fulfilling the covenant that God has already made is this. He has to build an ark. Now, that doesn't make sense. Remember, rain has never fallen on the earth at the point in time that they're being asked to build the ark. Now, that makes it really, really interesting because why would you build a boat when it goes against all the current scientific thinking? That's, this is where it becomes really interesting. But anyway, they go into the ark, they're saved through the flood, and at the end of it in uh, Genesis 9, verses 8 and 9, we have the fulfilment of that 
But Helen, I wonder if you would read that one for us, please. One of our panel members, uh, Marek Antos, who's not able to be on with us today, has shared some thoughts with us regarding what uh, Rod did in reiterating the terms of the covenant and more specifically who it includes. So, Helen, I wonder if you'd just read those and maybe comment on it briefly for us. Thanks. Okay, Genesis 9, verses 8 and 9. Very interesting verses. Right, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says here, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. I find it interesting in some translation it actually says, I confirm my covenant. Yes, I like that. With you, which I like too, because God made the, the covenant way back in Genesis, and he's saying, I'm confirming this again. In you other know, words, he's confirming something that's pre-existing, isn't he, Helen? Yeah, and um, I thought, well, that's just amazing, isn't it? And he said, my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. May I read verse 10 as well? Sure. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. And verse 11 says, I establish my covenant with you. And that's, of course, where he also goes on to say about the rainbow in the in the sky and what have you. You know, very, very interesting that he is saying even the animals, the living creatures that is with him. So God's looking after the earth. He's looking after the sky. He's looking after the sea. He's looking after man. He's looking after the animal. God is creator and God can do these things. And, I, you know, when we talked about the size of the ark, I find that very interesting too because people say, how is that possible? Well, there is nothing that's impossible with God. You know, I read somewhere where the ark, it wasn't a canoe, by the way, where the ark was something like 450 feet long. In other words, one and a half times of a football field, you know, and, and several stories high. You know, God made provision all the way along, not just for Noah and his family, but for the animals as well. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting with the animals um, scenario that Marek shared with us. Uh, What is God's covenant with animals? Isn't it to protect them and preserve them and look after them? Then you have to compare that, I suppose, ecologically with what have we done with the animal kingdom. You look at uh, Australia, I don't want to get off track too much, but you look at Australia and the number of species of animals and birds and things that have disappeared from our habitat since uh, particularly white people have come and cleared the land and uh, various other things. A lot of these animals and species have disappeared. I think it's really worth noting God's amazing love. He made the animals perfect. Yes, did he, he did. not? Yeah. yeah, he put an instinct into the animals and they would have been, to my way of thinking when I've dwelt on this and I can't prove it, but um, they would have been peaceful creatures living in harmony with everything else in nature. And and then all of a sudden sin comes into the world. And you might remember even the ground was cursed. Yes. You yes. know, it was all cursed. Sin actually touched everything. Yeah, you know, not, I, not I was not. reading somewhere where back in those days people weren't, the sanitization wasn't as good as what, you know, we know, and a lot of chemical and waste used to go into the streams and whatever. But it made people sick. And we know today if any toxins, even a, a little bit, gets into the streams, people become sick. Yes. That's the same with sin. Just a little bit came and then it just 
it took over and became so violent by the time of Noah that God God was sorry he made man. You know, it must have really broken his heart, so so to speak. But here we have, you know, God saying again, my covenant and with every living creature. Yes. He encompasses everything. What a God we serve. If God destroyed everything before the flood, it's logical to believe that as they came out of the ark, you've got all representations of God's creation, haven't you? You've got male and female. You've got sons daughters-in-law, and you've got animals, birds and whatever. And so God is and a re- husband and a wife. And a husband Sorry. and a wife. And God is remaking this. He is restating, as it were, or reinforcing uh, what he said before the flood, after the flood. Len, you had a thought for us, and then we will move on to have a look at God's covenant with Abram. Yes, I realise we have to move on. I was going to ask a question. It's okay. Comment is good. Has God kept his side of the covenant? The answer is yes. I know we get localised floods. We've had some in New South Wales and Queensland a few weeks ago. Indonesia's having it now. But he has kept his promise that never again destroy life on earth with water. Yes, a a universal flood. And uh, just Brent, and just before uh, before we move on, uh, I like to mention uh, we spent quite a bit of time on this on the covenant, particularly with uh, Noah. Just for uh, some of our listeners, we may wonder about this. It was a long time, hundred and twenty years, to build that ark. Maybe that could be built in ten years if many people would like to come and help and enter into the covenant which was offered. Because this is how I understand things. I understand that God offers the covenant and he invites us to enter into that covenant. But those people who were outside there, they were laughing at Noah. They were mocking him. They didn't enter into that covenant. And probably that's why were only eight people who entered into that covenant God offered I like to really understand this uh, today because God also made that covenant with Israel. And God even gave instructions how people should enter into that covenant and be part of Israel. Mm, True, true, Nick. That's a good thought. Thanks, Lydia. If you could read Genesis 12, 1 to 3 and comment on it for us. Thanks. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. We observe here God's grace that makes promises to Abraham. Yes. And as we observe here, I think this is the first recorded divine uh, revelation to Abraham, which is God promised to enter into a closer and a lasting relationship with him. We observe here a repeated, I will. It means God offered a divine human relationship of great of a great significance which suggests that that 
of and greatness of God's offer and promise. And uh, Abraham's obedience was the response of his faith to the loving relationship which God already had established with him. In other words, Abraham already believed in God, already trusted in God, already had faith in God's promises. And he had he had to because otherwise he he never would have left his family and ancestral land to begin with and headed into a place is unknown. So his obedience revealed yeah. his faith both to men and angels. And Abram, uh, even uh, back then, he revealed the key relationship between faith and works, which is an example for us as we live now in our days. We are saved by faith, a faith that results in works of obedience. So the promise of salvation comes first and the works follows. That's true. Now, what was the works, uh, Lydia, if I can just uh, comment on that? He was told to get out of where he was and go to a land I will show you. Is that right? Yes, Mm. correct. In other words, uh, God's promises that he made to Abram were based on the fact that Abram was obedient. He had to leave. The term actually used in some Bibles is get out. Get out of where you are and go to where I'm going to show you. And it's reiterated in Genesis 17, 2 and 4, and also in Genesis 15, which we haven't got time to look at today. But the important thing to note, the same as with Noah, is that God again is giving these promises to Abram. He's restating, maybe maybe could be the best term I could use. He's restating his covenant again, He's telling Abram he's going to be a great nation and Abram doesn't even have any children. Uh, But in chapter 17, 2 and 4, he says you need to walk before me and be blameless. So there's the uh, human response to the divine initiative. And Len, I believe you had a brief comment that you're going to read to us. Thanks. Abraham obeyed by faith, but not in order to bring about the promised blessings. His obedience was the response of his faith to the loving relationship which God already had established. In other words, Abraham believed in God, already trusted in God, already had faith in God's promises. Abraham knew God and he was able to put his faith in God and therefore he obeyed God. That's a a good comment, Len, and isn't it important... You Can I suggest that you do not have faith in God unless you have found God to be trustworthy? Is that a fair comment? If you haven't found God to be trustworthy, how are you going to put your faith in God? So somewhere along the line in your walk with the Lord, there has to be examples, I believe, of where God has demonstrated his trustworthiness to you personally. And if we had time today, which we don't, It would be lovely to share some of God's trustworthy things that he has done for you. Helen, you've got a comment for us. Just very briefly, there's a song that used to be sung years ago, To Know Him is to Love Him. Yes. And I believe that applies here. To know God is to love him. To know God is to love him and to do what God asks us to do because we love him. And it comes back to he says that himself. If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, And I, I believe to love him, we need to know him. 
Yes. Yeah. Moving on to another very important Bible character. Now, if you've ever been to the land of Egypt, which I have had the privilege of going to, you'll realise that Moses is held in very high esteem, even amongst the travel guides and that, that show you around the various places. Moses is a very important person in their, in their history. But, Joe, you're going to share with us a, a comment from Exodus 6, verse 7, or first of all, verse 4, um, in regard to the call that God gave to Moses to go to Egypt and to deliver his people from there. What uh, have you got that you can share with us on this uh, matter of covenants? Well, in those texts, um, we know, well, even before that, we know that Israel ended up in Egypt for 400 years and they were serving, they were under the Pharaoh, they were in bondage, they were treated like slaves, they had their firstborn males taken away from them because God had blessed them. They were suffering unbearable suffering. Yeah, is that what we call infanticide today? Is that infanticide? infanticide, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, (laughs) so Moses was raised up, if you like, and God speaks to him and he says, I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their residence in which they were strangers. So here we have God reiterating that covenant, if you like. And in verse 7 of that passage, it says, And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that it is I, the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So we have, we have a promise before. We had a promise to Abram. His people ended up in, in Egypt uh, under the slavery Now is a time of judgment, and Moses is raised up to deliver God's people. And so it says, accordingly, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. This is the message that God is giving to the Israelites. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will free you. I will rescue you with an outstretched arm and by mighty acts of judgment. So we have the enslavement, then we have the judgment. We know that in Noah's time, we had the before, we had the massive replication of evil, lots of suffering, lots of pain. God brings judgment on the earth, and here God is bringing judgment on the Egyptians. And yes. I guess we could spend another 10 minutes talking about that, but I guess it's also symbolic that whenever God's people, whenever a soul is in bondage to sin, to slavery of any kind, God is willing to free that person and God here is speaking to his people who were in bondage and says I will free you from this I will rescue you with an outstretched arm and I will bring you verse 8 and I will bring you into the land concerning which I lifted up my hand and swore yes and I will get that I would give it to Abraham Isaac and Jacob and um, I will give it to you for a heritage I am the Lord you have the pledge of my changeless omnipotence and faithfulness. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. It's, it is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It really is. Describes the, the God that um, we serve to a T. He was known earlier on as El Shaddai, but here he's now revealing himself as Jehovah. Helen, did you have a comment for us? Yeah, I agree totally with what Joe was saying. You know, when I look at them, there are four action words of God. He freed them from slavery. He became yeah. their God. He accepted yeah. them, and then he led them. And, yeah. you know, 
when the Hebrews were rescued from slavery, they actually portrayed the drama of salvation for all of us. When you think about it, God redeems us from sin. He delivers us. He accepts us. He becomes our God and leads us to a new life as we follow him. Yes, that's that's very true. Glenn, um, when in Exodus 3, 13 and 14, maybe you could summarise just briefly. God said to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, I am has sent you. Mm-hmm. Jesus said the same thing. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. But he makes a very positive statement in John eight fifty eight. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Which is really talking about the nature of God. God is eternal. And so he is able to keep his covenants because he doesn't have an expiry date. Isn't that wonderful? Helen, can you share with us, um, in Exodus 19, verse 5, it talks about God says to Moses, I want the people to be my people. I want them to be holy. I wondered if you could just share with us First Peter 2, 9 to see a reciprocating comment in the New Testament, which applies to us today as God's followers. Okay, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I think that's just a beautiful text. I mean, you could say so much about it, but we, you know, not having the time. But, you know, we can come directly into God's presence now. And we're given this responsibility, as they were then, of bringing others to him also. We join also in the priestly work of reconciling God and his people. And I believe that's what he was saying. You are a chosen people, not because they were perfect. No, God chose them to be an example because God looked at them as his very own possession and they would show others the goodness of God. Yeah, wonderful. The last section deals with uh, a statement found in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, which we believe applies particularly to the Messianic age. In other words, the time when Christ came, because prior to that, it was not able to be fulfilled. And Nick, if you would like to read those couple of verses and share with us, and then we'll have a look at, um, Lydia, you were going to just share with us the reason as to why they fell. So if we could do that uh, just briefly, that would be appreciated. Sure. I'm reading uh, from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's a wonderful covenant. uh, And I noticed something here in our discussion today, God and his covenant started with Abraham, like one person, okay? 
moved to another covenant with Noah, which was including his family, and then moved to another covenant with Moses, which included a nation. Mm-hmm. You see how pro- God is going to go from and coming back again, and we are going to be in a covenant with God, even on a personal level. Because just before Jesus coming back again, each one of us, we have to respond individually, individually. And it's very important yeah. uh, to realize that because too many times we are impacted by the faith and the, the way some other people live their lives, their Christian life. We need to know God personally. Thank you. Uh, Lynn? This covenant is repeated in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8. Yes, yes. Some people say, well, this simply means that God has got rid of his law. However, when you read the covenant, it says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. It doesn't say the law has been done away with. It says the law is still there, but it's presented, if you like, in a different way. Thank you, Len. Lydia, can you summarize for us quickly why the Old Covenant failed? Okay, we have a text here in Second um, Kings chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. It says here that they sinned against the Lord. They followed the practices of the nations that driven out before them. Uh, and uh, in verse 15, it says that they re- rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. And they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They limited the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them do not do as they do. And they did the things that the Lord had forbidden them to do. So they went against God, against his covenant, against his love. And it because does, of that, it does say that, doesn't it, Lydia? Yes. It says they broke his covenant. But yes. Joe is going to share with us from Galatians 3 how in Christ that covenant was restored. And this is the good news from today's study. One of the most beautiful portions of Scripture. It's really something that the world needs right now. It says in verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you were as were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union and communion with Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, have put on clothe yourselves with Christ. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. There is no no distinction, neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is not male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, are in him who is Abraham's seed, then you are Abraham's offspring and spiritual heirs according to promise. Beautiful words because we are no longer separated by caste or national boundaries, by gender, wealth and position, colour of skin or appearance. Even, I would say, Brenton, the number and severity of mistakes that we have made in our lives because we are all one in Christ Um, And as Nick has read earlier, when we put on Christ, he will write our law within our, on our hearts and he will be our God and we will be his people. And none of the other other things that separate us now are important. Agreed. Totally. Len, what should our response be, do you believe? Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, 
and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Just as Noah was faithful, just as Abram was faithful, just as Moses was faithful, the call is for us to be faithful. That's really what the covenant is all about. This is our part. God has done his part. We have a part to play too. Can I appeal to our listeners in closing, as well as to ourselves as panel, what does God's covenant mean to you? Does it mean everything to you? Because he is faithful. He's asking you to be faithful to him. And here is your opportunity to respond. As you're listening to this broadcast, you will be hearing God's voice speaking to you. And his covenant with you is what Joe just read. In Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I think that's absolutely wonderful. I wonder, Helen, could you close with prayer for us, please? Thank you. Let's pray, shall we? Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we've been discussing your covenants, your agreements with us, which you made the first move, Lord. And there are things that you've asked us to do, and we need to be living sacrifices, obedience from the heart. We cannot do that on our own. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to be transformed people with renewed minds, living to honour and obey you. Yes. Father, we, we don't want to go along the lines of the worldly pleasures. Please keep our minds pure. And, Lord, Father, please make us into new people. Change the way we think. Help us to avoid all those things that uh, bring dishonour to you. And, Lord, we pray the Holy Spirit will renew, re-educate and redirect our mind and we will be truly transformed. We thank you for the covenants that we have seen. We thank you, Lord, that the covenants were not made for Paul or Eve or um, Noah um, or even just for the children of Israel. We thank you, Lord, that those covenants are meant for us as well. We thank you for the tremendous sacrifice that you made for us. And, Lord, in turn, may we give ourselves to you completely absolutely and identify with you to know you and to love you and to keep the commandments you ask us to keep we pray in the loving name of jesus amen amen thank you so much everyone for participating today on this uh, bible study uh, obviously time um, it's our enemy but uh, i invite you to come uh, back and um, be with us for the next one we are going to expand much more on each one of these uh, characters like uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and so on and so forth. Uh, please join us next time. Until then, may God richly bless you. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.